Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thursday, May 13th, 2021. I'm broadcasting live, Roland Martin Unfiltered, here in Baytown, Texas, uh, where on the second anniversary of the death of Pamela Turner, a black woman shot and killed by a Baytown police officer two years ago. A rally was held out here earlier today. Attorney Ben Crump, Attorney Monique Presley, also rappers Bun B, uh, Trade the Truth, and others were out here raising awareness with an officer who will soon go on trial in her death. We'll show you the latest of what took place today. Also uh, on today's show in Georgia, attorneys for the men who killed Amar Arbery, uh, they want to bring up Arbery's past criminal record, which of course has nothing to do with him being shot. Also in Georgia, a man is suing the officer responsible for killing Rayshard Brooks for a million bucks. We'll give you those details. In Minneapolis, the trial of three former police officers charged with aiding and abetting uh, the death of George Floyd. Uh, It has been postponed until March of 2022. Also, 
in Virginia. The nutcase Republican running for, for lieutenant governor, she calls critical race theory nonsense. Nah, I would dare say crazy black Republicans are nonsense. Also, we'll be joined on the show, folks, by Kathy Hughes. She is the founder and chair of uh, Urban One. Uh, she'll be talking about the Urban One Honors. And, folks, all of that and more. It's time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered from Baytown, Texas. Let's go. Folks, what you're watching is a live shot uh, from Baytown, Texas. This is the apartment complex uh, where two years ago, uh, Pamela Turner was gunned down, was gunned down by a Baytown police officer uh, as she was, of course, uh, having uh, a significant issue. Uh, it was a case of schizophrenia where that police officer uh, shot and killed her. Uh, folks, of course, have been protesting here uh, in uh, Baytown uh, for the last two years. Uh, that particular officer, a trial date is going to be set on Mar May 25th, announcing when he is going to go to trial in the death of Pamela Turner. Uh, folks, uh, the video is shocking. It is stunning. Uh, I just want to give a trigger warning to anybody uh, who has not seen the video. We're going to show it in a second, and you will see an unarmed black woman telling this police officer that she is pregnant. He cannot control her. He then steps back, fires five shots, killing her immediately. Watch this. What the fuck? Pop the Folks, it is shocking and stunning every time we see that video. Uh, the officer knew she was a mentally disturbed woman who was having a breakdown. That is how he chose to contain the situation. 42 years old, Pamela Turner shot dead. Today, two years ago, at this apartment complex uh, that is across the street from us. 
uh, the folks who were out here for the rally today. They wanted to, of course, uh, honor her uh, by raising attention. Uh, and, in fact, at one point, you can go back to the shot of the drone, at one point at the end of the rally, Trade the Truth wanted to lead uh, the people who assembled out here uh, to the spot where she was shot and killed to say uh, a prayer for her. Uh, but as you see the sign there, it says, under new management, they made it perfectly clear uh, that if anyone came on property, they would be arrested for trespassing, uh, and they chose uh, not to do so. Uh, remember, more than a month ago, Ben Crump was on our show, and Ben Crump said they were having this rally. I told Ben Crump uh, that we would be here to live stream this rally in support of him, uh, and that's exactly what we did. Uh, here is a roundup of what took place earlier today, uh, noon Eastern, uh, excuse me, noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern here in Baytown, Texas, uh, where that rally was held just to seek justice for Pamela Turner. Now, we're whipping a rock stove of where her mother was executed, Marion told Right across the street. Vice President Michelle, I mean literally, right across the street. Said on her back, five times he shoots, hitting her in the face, in the chest, and in the stomach. And it's such a difficult thing. I just want to thank everybody that came out, you know. Um, it's very hard to do this here today across from where my mother was murdered. But um, I got to do it. And I just thank everyone for the support because I need it. My family needs it. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to try to act like if this is not hard, like it don't hurt, like I could just come out here and do this. No, I can't. <laughs> All day yesterday. I'm supposed to be celebrating, you know. I'm 24, guys. I'm 24. And this is, you know, this is what I got to do for the rest of my life. And, you know, I, I'm coming to terms with it. I'm, I'm starting to be okay with it. Because no matter what, I know she would do it for me. I just want to thank everybody that came out and supported us. Uh, today marked the 24 month, 24 months since Pam was executed. Um, it's, it's really hard for me to stand here in this area because, not just because of the 24 months that's, you know, since she's been gone, but in 1993 when she graduated, that's where I was living in this apartment complex back here, and it was a different name, and that's where she lived. It was the first apartment that she lived in, and it was the last apartment that she lived in. My Lord. And uh, it's, it's very emotion and heartbreaking for me. Uh, as I said, there were a number of people uh, who spoke uh, earlier today, uh, including Tamika Mallory, Until Freedom, uh, Attorney Monique Presley, uh, and others. Uh, folks, let me know when we have a sound of them. Uh, it, it was, uh, and, but not only that, you had the families of other African-Americans who have died at the hands of police. Family members of Brianna Taylor were here. Uh, the uh, the father of Jacob Blake, uh, he also uh, spoke here today as well. He was uh, very passionate, uh, demanding and calling for Congress, especially President Joe Biden, uh, to pass the uh, George Floyd Justice Act. Uh, one of George Floyd's brothers uh, was also uh, at this rally as well. And so uh, it was it was and that's one of the things that we have seen uh, where the family members 
uh, of individuals who have been impacted uh, by violence. Uh, they've also spoken uh, to the folks in our control room. If y'all could just pull up, uh, so it's 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 it's, it's us. No, you can first look. Y'all can pull some stuff, uh, and so just let me know when we have that. Uh, and so we're going to show some of that a little bit later. If y'all folks, if you actually want to see that particular rally, just simply go to our YouTube channel. We actually live streamed earlier. It was on our YouTube channel, and so you can you can actually check that out. Uh, and so uh, we, there were some issues out here that we were connected to the audio, but don't worry about it, folks. Uh, you still will be able to hear some of that. And so uh, we wanted to be able to hear to bring attention because uh, there are so many cases like this. There's so many cases like this that doesn't get attention, uh, that people don't even hear about. Uh, in fact, while we were out here, uh, there were people who literally were walking up to us. Uh, one brother was talking about a case of police abuse at the hands of police. Another woman came up uh, to tell me about officers uh, tasing her son seven years ago. And the investigators, uh, the uh, medical examiner, ruled that his death was a homicide and still no justice. That's one of the things that often happens uh, when we cover these rallies where you will have uh, family members who come out here and no one uh, speaks for them. No one uh, tells their story. In fact, uh, the mother of Robbie Tolan was out here. Folks, y'all might remember that story. It happened in Bel Air, Texas. Bel Air is a city that's inside uh, of the city of Houston. Uh, it is near It is near the Galleria. Well, Robbie Tolan was a baseball player at Prairie View a University. He is the son, son of a former Major League Baseball player. Uh, Robbie Tolan and his friend were coming home, uh, and as they were coming home, officers descended upon their home saying that uh, the car was stolen. Uh, Tolan goes into the, going to the front door, uh, yelling and screaming for his parents. He was scared to death. Officer ends up shooting him. Uh, Tolan, uh, baseball career over. Uh, he was uh, paralyzed at, at that particular point. Uh, later he recovered, but baseball career is over. Ben Crump spoke out here earlier. He, he said that was one of the few cases where it went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled in the case of qualified immunity. And so uh, his mother spoke, and she said when they went through their ordeal, she said the community did not rally behind us in Bel Air, Texas. And so what and so there are people out there and I hear this all the time from folks who will say, well, you know, this is this is, you know, black porn. I've always seen these shootings. But people need to understand if you're out there critical of Ben Crump and critical of Tamika Mallory and critical of the people who are bringing attention to these shootings. What you should be asking yourself is, if one of your family members was shot and killed, would you want the community uh, coming to your aid? The people who've actually uh, lost sons and daughters to police violence, they're in a fraternity and sorority nobody wants to be a member of. But what we do hear from them is important, as they say, uh, that somebody is speaking up for them. That's one of the reasons why uh, they had that rally uh, out here uh, earlier today. I want to bring in my panel right now, Reese Colbert, Black Women Views. Uh, we have Dr. Greg Carr, Chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University. Amisha Cross, uh, she's political analyst and democratic strategist. Uh, Greg, I'll start with you. To that particular point, uh, when, if, when you look at this thing from a historical perspective, uh, African-Americans who have been lynched, uh, you've had uh, black churches, pastors, community leaders uh, raising attention, raising awareness. 
And there are a lot of people who today uh, who criticize when they see settlements, when they see lawyers uh, flying on private jets, not realizing that there are celebrities who've actually loaned those jets to allow these attorneys to be able to go from city to city with these various court cases. The problem, Greg, is that there are so many cases. The problem is that Ben Crump is working on, at any given time, 20 and 30 different cases. And so it's always interesting to me to listen to the haters who cry about the people uh, who are showing up at rallies, putting it on the front line, bringing attention to the names of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, uh, Akia Jones, and uh, you know Ayanna Jones, and so many others, and not realizing that if it wasn't for this attention, many folks wouldn't have no idea of who these folks are, and justice would not be sought. That's right, Roman. Uh... The, the, this is a symptom, not the underlying cause. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a society where celebrity and platform are so deeply intertwined in this capitalist structure that it creates a situation where you have individuals who are, are, are you know, who are trying to do good work, who are kind of magnified beyond that. I, I find it disgusting. Um, in fact, uh, the word today that one of the words we should always be thinking about is pressure. Um, so there shouldn't be a Ben Crump. There should be lawyers. There should be an army of lawyers, local lawyers, regional lawyers, state level lawyers who when this, uh, when these incidents of hunting, and that's what it is in a moment, you'll talk about Georgia with Ahmaud Aubrey and, and what happened in Atlanta. Uh, these paddle rollers, these devils are hunting. And as they hunt, we should, uh, hunt back. And in order to hunt back effectively, there should not be a Ben Crump shouldn't have to get on anything. Tamika shouldn't have to get on anything and, and travel anywhere where they don't hit the ground. And there's an army of local people who have already organized, who are already there to meet them. And I'm glad you mentioned the Tolan case, uh, Robbie Tolan, and of course his father Bobby. I'm just old enough to remember when Bobby Tolan was playing for the Cincinnati Reds in the early 70s. You know, those paddle rollers, that paddle roller executioner was actually charged by the Harris County prosecutor, your home county down here in, in, in Texas. And uh, a, 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 a paddle favorable jury let him go. And so I guess what I'm saying is finally that uh, the fact that we have so have these handful of individuals who are so readily identifiable really doesn't have much to do with them. It has everything to do with the fact that our people need to, and here's the second word, the first is pressure, because it's the external pressure that brings anything to bear. The second word is organize. You hear that, mm -hmm. lawyers? You hear that, lawyers? You need to put ben, ben Crump out of a job. And guess who would be the most relieved person in the world should he be relieved of doing, have crossing the country like that? I suspect his name might be Benjamin Crump. Mm -hmm. You know, on, on that particular point there, uh, Amisha, um, one of the things that, uh, that, um, that Reverend Dr. James Dixon uh, said today um, and again, if you look at this shot here, obviously it's an empty parking lot. Uh, but uh, you had, um, yeah, you know, a couple of hundred people out here, and and there were very few people from Baytown, Texas. And he talked about what happens in a lot of these cities, uh, how people have been so beaten down and frustrated that it requires folks from outside to come in and help mobilize and organize. Uh, but to, but to Greg's point, that's exactly uh, what uh, often happens—that it requires. 
uh, folks uh, to come from other parts of the country uh, to bring attention. Uh, and, and, and But you should have the, the local organization, those things taking place. And not all cases, not all cases become national. And what people have to understand is even Trayvon Martin, people forget I was in the middle of that. People, national media didn't jump on that. Right. We had to force them to do it. I was at CNN and we were imploring them. We had to force them to do it. And it was social media. It was black media that was actually raising the attention before mainstream all of a sudden woke up. That's why we have to keep doing this. You're absolutely correct, Roland. I think that the there has to be an understanding that mainstream media does not respond to cases of, uh, of, of crimes against black people, particularly when they're crimes that the police have committed. And that only comes when we see this concerted effort amongst those on the ground to actually organize and get on social media and to raise a stink, to, um, to you know, advocate in the communities, to march in the streets. Those are the type of things that get the national media attention. But there are dozens upon dozens of cases that will never get national media attention. And that does not make them any less important or any less egregious. This one in particular hits home for me because as a kid who had a schizophrenic mother who ended up being incarcerated due to her mental illness, due to her mental health. It disturbs me that in over 80% of cases, when it comes to black people being arrested at the jail level, before they even are convicted of a crime, in large part, it is because of a mental illness. Our police forces across the country are not equipped to handle mental health issues and to know that someone lost their life due to the sheer fact that they had a verifiable mental illness is a real problem. And I think that we need to recognize that this happens in silos across the country, in rural areas and urban areas where police officers pull their gun first and they ask questions later. And if you're someone who is bipolar, if you're someone with schizophrenia, if you're someone who has anxiety disorders or anywhere on that spectrum, you are someone who has a target on your back. And it's frustrating because our system has yet to move beyond that point where mental illness is criminalized and mental illness in many cases equals death. And I think that elevating this case to the importance that was needed two plus years ago when it actually happened in Texas is something that is extremely important. But we also have to recognize that within our system, there is not a real push to ensure that those who have mental health issues are actually taken care of, that they are not criminalized for those mental health issues, that there are mental health clinics and other areas uh, that actually reach them and can help them through this process that doesn't treat them as if they are other, that doesn't treat them as if they are um, as if they are going to harm somebody else. What we know about mental health in this country is that in the majority of cases, they are more of a harm to themselves than they are anybody else ever. So I think that we really need to take into consideration how we treat the mentally ill across this country, particularly if that person who's suffering from mental illness looks like you or I. That's right. Reese, um, one of the things that was talked about at the rally today, um, and uh, Tamika Mallory and Monique talked about this, was the fact that uh, in, in, in many cases, um, when black women have been impacted in these shootings, you don't get uh, the same uh, attention, if you will, um, as others. And, 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 and it was important for uh, a number of these brothers to come out here and to stand for justice for Pamela Turner, uh, because oftentimes uh, it is you will see folks standing up when a black man is killed, but not necessarily when a black woman. 
Absolutely. I mean, Malcolm X is the one who said the least protected woman in America is the black woman. And I think it's important that we understand that black women are victims of police brutality. It's not an oppression Olympics. It's not a competition. It's we all are um, are vulnerable to this sort of excessive force and deadly force. And I think Amisha really hit the, hit, hit the nail on the head when it comes to mental health. What's so disturbing in this situation is that we see over and over again where you have white people who have come in contact with the police, and sometimes they're using force against the police, whether it's their fists or whether it's, you know, a weapon, and they come out of the situation alive. We have to make it such that police officers, look, you're the one who's trained for that. Okay, so they say Pamela Turner used the um, the, uh, the, the, ta the taser against him, but did you die? No. So how is a proportional response to a taser shooting somebody four times or multiple times? It's not a proportional response. Another thing, too, though, is a problem, is the sense of urgency that these cops inject into these situations. If Pamela Turner had an outstanding warrant, and we've seen this in other cases where there was an outstanding warrant, supposedly. Do you have to resolve it at that exact moment? If somebody, as Amisha said, is having a mental episode, you know where this person lives, they're not a flight risk, why can't you de-escalate the situation and return to the situation at another time? It's like they have to, as Dr. Carr put it, hunt, and they have to get their prey in that exact moment. And there's no, there's no attempts whatsoever made to de-escalate, to return to the situation. The same thing happened with Rayshard Brooks that we're going to talk about later. So what if he took off running? He was unarmed, and you knew where the man lived. You knew where he was going. It wasn't a situation where you had to employ your weapon and kill. And that is a cultural issue and a racism issue as well, where, we, where, where cops are given license to try to, you know, resolve every single warrant or every single traffic stop no matter the consequence, even if it results in death. But as far as black women goes, yeah, we need everybody to show up to black women. That's why hashtag say her name became a thing, because black women are not as as not as cared for when they are the victims. Uh, folks, uh, as I said, uh, this is a shot here of the apartment complex. Uh, we were, uh, we've been here since, um, well, actually for the last six hours uh, or so. Uh, there was a rally that took place the last about two and a half hours uh, in this parking lot. This is a, uh, this is a, a collection of baseball fields in this parking lot here. Uh, and we are, that's, you can actually, but across the street, across the street is uh, the uh, parking lot. And so this is, a, excuse me, is the, is the apartment complex where Pamela Turner was gunned down two years ago today. Here is more of the rally that took place earlier today calling for justice for Pamela Turner. Thank you so much. Let's give Monique Presley, attorney Monique Presley, a round of applause. Y'all can do better than that. Y'all can do better than that. Yeah, so one of the things that I've, I learned early in life 
is that after someone has blessed the mic, you don't go and try to repeat everything that they already said. And so I won't stand here before you long attempting to repeat the awesome words and the knowledge that was dropped on us by Attorney Presley. The one thing I know about this sister is that every time I hear her open her mouth, I get educated. I don't know if y'all listen to her on Roland Martin Unfiltered, on Fox News Channel, on every outlet everywhere, and on her own lives that she does, but she is constantly educating black people, and I appreciate the fact that she shows up in places and spaces that are hard, they're tough, and, and, and seeks to represent us as black people, and certainly my other sister, my this is my, my fighting queen, we, we in the trenches, we in the hood fighting. We're outside ready to go and do whatever needs to be done. And that's my sister, my sister, Teslin Figaro. She is a fighting, fighting sister. Straight shot, no chaser. And here we are. You know, we're beyond the point of being politically correct. We passed that point. That's over. At least it's for me, it's over. I am not of the turn the other cheek generation. I'm really not. I'm going to be honest with y'all. And I, and I know I need to grow up, Ben. I know I need to work on myself. I need to get therapy and all of those things. I understand that. Trust me. But I also have decided that I'm prepared to give my life for what I believe in. And sometimes that might not look too nice and clean to some folks, right? Because we're ready to step up and speak up. And right now, we're in a moment where truth is all that matters. Telling the truth, no matter how uncomfortable it may make you, no matter how much people may castigate you, you might be marginalized. Folks don't like us much, do they, Teslin? They don't like us. They don't like you much, do they? They don't, they don't like us much. And that's okay. We, that's all right. All right. That, that's what matters, is that our people love us. And from New York City all the way to Baytown, Texas, we came to say that black women matter and that we will fight until we die on behalf of black women. If not us, who? Who else will stand up for us if we don't stand up for us? And because people don't necessarily like us and because we're always running our mouths, we ruffle flat feathers. We do it all the time. And we're prepared to stand up to our own people who look like us, who are in positions of power, and they are sometimes the biggest obstacles to us getting what it is that we need. And so we will call them out, and we will, of course, make sure ain't no white man, no white woman, going to step to us in our communities and tell us a damn thing about who we are and how we should fight for our people. That's where we stand. So I'm happy to be here in Baytown today. I traveled here in the middle of a, a virtual book tour that has me sitting in front of a computer all day long for my new book that was uh, released just two days ago called State of Emergency. But regardless, I got up, got on the flight to come and stand with Chelsea and Pam Turner family because this matters just like we stood in Louisville Kentucky with Breonna Taylor's family and Bianca Austin her aunt who has been fighting for her when nobody would say Breonna Taylor's name is here we know if they are here we must be here if Chelsea has to be here I have to be here if I have to be here you have to be here because that's what this fight is all about if not us who and if not now when it is our responsibility to stand up for our own people, and that's what we intend to do. Is that right, y'all?
All right, that's good, that's good. May 25th, we'll be standing, we will be again standing with this family because there is a court date that will be happening. We can listen. When the police kill us, they show up for their officers regardless of whether they are right or wrong. They stand up for theirs. They show up for their colleagues. They are present and they fight for their own. They don't care about whether or not, well, our communities aren't a monolith. You know, I don't know. I need to see the facts. Uh, where's the rest of the video? Uh, you know, well, I heard that he was down there messing with them drugs. Uh, you know, well, she, she had a man, and that man she had, he was too good. That's what we do to our own people. But when it's time to fight for police, they stand up for their own regardless of the story. They don't care about their records. They don't care about their past because they recognize that they are protecting the blue. That's what they're there for. And we ought to be protecting the black. We ought to be protecting the black. So they stand for theirs, and we stand for ours. And we will continue to do that. I want Bianca Austin, a woman who unfortunately has had to be out here on the front line. When I first heard about Breonna Taylor, the second thing, it was two things that I heard. The first was her mother, her name is Tamika. And I said, why, how she spell it? Because that's what Tamikas do. We want to know how you spell, you remember, I asked, how does she spell it? And they said she spells it T-A-M-I-K-A. That's how I spell mine. I said, okay, I'm on my way. I'm almost there. Me and her, we together. And now Tamika Palmer and I are good sisters. That's my girl. We talked on the way here. Now we've, we've transcended from just talking about Breonna Taylor to dealing with how we stand for justice for other families and other people. And again, that's my family. Let's give Tamika Palmer and the family of Breonna Taylor a hand. Let's do that. But the second thing I heard, I heard it from Ben Crump. I heard it from attorney Lanita Baker, who is also a fighting sister, an attorney in Louisville, Kentucky, that people need to know she should be, just like Ben, probably attorney general of this country at one point. Ben Crump is already the black attorney general. We're working on making him everybody's attorney general. Yeah, okay. We're working on that. But the second thing that everyone said is that Bri Breonna Taylor has an aunt an aunt who created all of the material that folks were beginning to see and that she had been fighting in the trenches for her niece and standing oftentimes alone. And there are a lot of people who want to claim that they were the ones that gave Breonna Taylor the type of spotlight that she needs. But the truth of the matter is that outside of a few organizations on the ground there in Louisville, it was because of Bianca Austin's work that Breonna Taylor's name is all over the world. And until Freedom came in and supported Bianca's work, and we respect that and know. So every time they try to say, well, why did Until Freedom go to Louisville? We ain't need you to come here. Bianca also said, excuse me, yes, we did. We absolutely needed it because we needed to make sure internationally that Breonna Taylor was known. So come on up. That's right. We have to make sure that we tell our own people the history so that you all can go and spread it as well. So let's hear from Bianca Austin, the aunt of Breonna Taylor. She said her name has now changed to uh, Bree Taylor. Bree Taylor. It's Breeway for me. Bianca. All right, folks, uh, we're still here uh, in Baytown, Texas. Uh, when that rally was over, I had a chance to talk to Ben Crump, 
uh, about why they were here, why this was so important, and why uh, we must continue to fight on behalf of black men and black women who are losing their lives uh, to police violence. Gonna have this uh, Justice for Pamela Turner rally. I told you, Roller Martin Cooper is gonna be here. We're here. Hey, I can't tell you how much it meant you being here, Roland Martin, to say that Pam Turner life matters. So often, black women don't get the attention Roland that mm -hmm. brothers get. So you being here, brother, that was huge for Pam Turner's family. So this is so bring folks up to date in terms of where where we are with this. This took place in May of 2019. May of 2019. This is the two-year anniversary today. And we have ironically rolling the status conference for Pamela Turner's uh, killer cop, Officer De La Cruz, is on May 25th, the same day that George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so we have to, like, we paid attention to George Floyd trial, we got to pay attention to Pam Turner trial. So he was, in, so, so the Officer Cruz, he was, he was, he was indicted, not for murder, not for manslaughter, not, not for manslaughter. He was uh, charged with aggravated assault? aggravated assault by a public official. But it, she's dead. She's dead. But that carries more sentencing time than manslaughter, and it's a lesser standard. And I hope I can't take their word for it, Roland. I hope they're trying to be strategic to make sure he's convicted. If he is convicted with that charge, it can go up to 25 years. Okay, all right then, and so, uh, but the date is gonna be set, so the trial is not beginning on May 25th. The trial is not beginning on May 25th, it was set for trial, but they changed us to a status conference because of COVID-19. So they told us that they are not asking for a continuance. They claim they are ready to go to trial now. Uh, so we expect in the next three months to get a trial date for the, our sister Pamela Turner. Well, but in this case, here's a perfect example of what we keep talking about, why you should be sending mental health professionals to the scene. It was a clearly disturbed woman. Uh, and the officer, again, uh, he pulls his gun out and fires her. It was just her. I, I saw the video. To, it was one of those things where he could have stepped back and said, let me know when you're done. Yeah. He was in no intimate threat. I mean... She is on her back rolling. He could have. On the ground. Yeah. He could have created distance. He could have gave a verbal command. He could have got behind a car to set up a perimeter. He could have called for backup. He could have did anything except shoot this black woman who he knew was unarmed. In her face, in her chest, and in her stomach. Killing her like worse than a dog. Well, this is also why uh, it's important to have communities out here coming out uh, to show their support as well. Uh, because you heard what uh, Robbie Tolan's mother said. You know, when, when I remember that case. I had them on the town during the morning show, uh, and and you didn't you didn't have folks who were rallying. That's what's also important for the community to understand. And they're also having these families here because, unfortunately, they are members of a fraternity and sorority. Nobody wants to be a part of to have them showing their uh, uh, their support as well. Yeah, it, it really matters, Roland. And, and, and I know people don't understand completely what it means when Roland Martin goes to Elizabeth City, North Carolina, for Andrew Brown. Or you come to Lamarck, Texas for Joshua Feast. Or you come to Baytown, Texas for Pamela Turner. 
because a lot of times mainstream media don't cover our cases until we start covering our cases with social media. It was the same thing with Trayvon. You remember, you were one of the first interviews. It was just college students on right. social media. And then when we start making it important, then the mainstream media jump on the bandwagon. So thank you for never jumping on the bandwagon. Oh, no, no, we lead leading no, no. the way. That's right, we don't jump on the bandwagon. And, and from the bottom of my heart, for Andrew, for Joshua Chief's family, and for Pam Turner. I appreciate it. We'll stay on the case. All right. I'm I it, baby. I appreciate it, baby. Thanks a lot. All right, folks, so as I said, on May 25th, on May 25th, they will go to court where they will announce what is going to be the trial date uh, for the officer, De La Cruz, uh, who uh, shot and killed Pamela Turner. And as you heard, as Ben Crump said there, and, and, and Greg, I want to go to you here. This is, and I need everybody who's listening to me right now. You heard Ben Crump say, although it sounds like the officer is going to be tried for a lesser crime if convicted it actually carries more time than if it was murder or manslaughter why am i saying that because what the, what happens a lot of these times greg folks will start protesting died them for murder 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 and these are folk who don't understand the law and so I've had times where where where, where being corrupt lawyers have been saying to the community yo I need y'all to pipe down and chill because you're actually arguing for a higher standard for them to get convicted. They could get convicted on a lower charge but actually serve more jail time. And so for the folk out there who are jailhouse lawyers or wannabes, this is why you got to listen to the attorneys and not just jump out there uh, yelling for somebody to get indicted for murder when you don't know how the law works. Yeah, that, 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 that's true, Roland. Um... It's one of the reasons why I'm sorry, the sun is shining in my face a little bit. There's uh, that's one of the reasons why I think it's very important for us to understand that there are a lot of moving parts in any struggle. Um, the courtroom dimension of a struggle requires uh, our best legal minds and requ and requires those legal minds to be in conversation with every other piece of the struggle, whether it be community organizers, whether it be folk getting together on a national and international level, to understand that um, you have to know not only uh, what charges you want to bring, but no charges in the abstract. You've got to know if you're, you're trying to put pressure on a prosecutor in, in, a, in a locality, what the context is, what the jury pool is. Uh, you have to understand, you know, who the judges are on the bench. And yes, it may carry ultimately a larger potential uh, sentence, but if there's no mandatory requirement for a judge, that is if and which, if, if the jury convicts, which is why you have some decisions to make uh, perhaps charge on a lesser charge, hoping to give the jury options. All of these things are moving together. Finally, uh, for those of us who are involved, in the, and, I, and I agree with, uh, with, with Ben Crump there as it relates to the role that you play. For those who are involved in mass media, understand something right now. Because as we're sitting here having this conversation, Israel just sent its army into Gaza Strip. And meanwhile, mass commercial news media, who is beholden to that whole mafia that holds up that apartheid situation over there, is, is, is making the false equivalency of rockets versus airstrikes. I'm saying that to say this. 
The way you get around that, the way you organize, the way you build momentum is to take the temperature of this dialogue down, which means stop looking at mass commercial entertainment media who's really trying to play a shirts and skins game and, and keep their ad buy up and tune into the platform that you are building, which allows us then to explain to folk that part of the role that those of us who are not lawyers, who are not in politics, who are not uh, mass level organizers, part of the role we have is to make sure that we su we support with the resources, with the, that we surround uh, the folks who are on the front line in those ways with resources, and then trust them to advocate on us as we play the other role we have, which is to organize to put pressure on these folks. There's a lot of moving parts. It's not as simple as people try to make it out to be. Well, and that's one of the reasons why uh, I, I must say, Reese, yeah, I, I, I love our people because uh, when, when we were here, uh, I had a brother uh, who he wanted me to know. Uh, he came up to me, Reese, uh, with a photocopy of his uh, uh, Bring the Funk check. Uh, and handed it to me, and then I, I like literally handed me out here, uh, and then and then uh, two other brothers just walked up and just put the cash in my hand. They were like, "We ain't mailing nothing." They were like, "We gonna support on the spot." Uh, and so I certainly appreciate uh, uh, folks uh, for, for, for their support. Uh, but uh, again, when we talk about uh, why the lawyers matter. Uh, to hear Ben Crump describe that, because we, we were in Dallas, and the folks we were at, there was an event at a church, and people were people were jumping on the DA who was there at the time, was a black Republican woman, who were jumping on her about indicting Amber Geiger for murder. I remember when we uh, Ben pulled me to a side, he said, I wish the folk here would listen to us before they start saying stuff. He mm -hmm. said, what they don't realize is the moment an officer is convicted then that actually removes the liability of the city he hmm. said that will have a negative impact on the settlement that goes to the family have y'all heard an announced settlement for the Botham Jean family in his shooting death you have not hmm. there's a reason why and so for the people who, again, who don't understand what lawyers do, there were people, Reese, who were saying, uh, well, this settlement with the George Floyd family was about to influence the jury. What they didn't realize is the greatest leverage for a family to reach a financial settlement is before there is a trial. Right. And you got to listen I, to the lawyers. They, they do this stuff for a reason. Absolutely. And I've seen people criticize Benjamin Crump, for instance, and say that he never gets a conviction. Well, he's a civil rights attorney, not a, you know, a defense attorney or a prosecutor. But to your point, I mean, this discussion reminds me of the Laquan McDonald and Jason Van Dyke case. As talking about how you charge somebody and thinking about the sentences, Jason Van Dyke was convicted of 16 counts, including second degree murder. And even with that amount, that multitude of charges that he was convicted with, he was only sentenced to 81 months, 81 months, which is just shy of seven years. And so it's not just about what you're charged with. It's about the sentencing requirements. As Dr. Carr said, sometimes there are not minimum sentencing requirements. So even a charge like murder doesn't carry the same sentence once it's in the judge's hands. And so 
we really do need to focus on results. What is the end result that we're trying to see from the situation? What does justice, as much justice as you can get from the fact that you cannot bring that loved one back, look like? And what is the strategy behind it that's going to bring some sort of comfort and consolation to the family, as well as remove a murderer and executioner from the streets? And so sometimes, as Black people, we do get so caught up on the rhetoric. We get so caught up on what we feel like are these moral victories and what it says to charge somebody with murder, and we kind of lose sight of the strategy. And that was one of the things that Marilyn Mosby was criticized for in Baltimore, and I thought she showed incredible courage in how she charged those officers and the Freddie who, who um, killed Freddie Gray, but she was accused of overcharging them, and the standard was just too high, so she was not able to get any convictions. And so the, we do have to be strategic. I think it does make sense to let the lawyers really try to lead the strategy, let the families lead the strategy, and let the families decide what, what justice looks like for them and their families. And I saw Dr. Carr kind of winced a little bit about the civil settlement kind of interfering with um, the, the, crim or the criminal conviction interfering with the civil settlement. But I'm not saying that you disagree with me on this point, Dr. Carr, but I will say I would defer to the family in terms of what they feel most comfortable with for their own loved ones. As far as for society, we need those convictions. We need to send a message that you is not open season on black people. But I do think that Benjamin Crump has shown that there is a way to be strategic. And in the George Floyd case, he his family was able to get the settlement. And then, you know, the officer was convicted as well. And it did not interfere in any kind of way. Well, I, I, I'm, mm. I'm, Amisha, I only brought that up. I only brought that up because I've talked to a lot of attorneys in these cases, and I've asked those questions. Hey, how do you deal with the timing? How do you deal with that uh, in terms of settlements? When do you make those moves? And what they've said is, they say what, what they say what the public has to understand is that legal settlements in these cases are strategic, mm -hmm. and it's and that we have and we have to understand when the right pressures apply, what's going on. And so that was one of that was that was one of the things. And here's the piece. The settlement in the George Floyd case was one of the largest settlements ever in one of these shootings. There is a reason. And so that's just what and I, I just try to explain to people again who don't know, understand there is strategy behind a lot of these decisions. Misha, go ahead. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right here, Roland. I feel like there are so many social media attorneys who use Facebook and Twitter as their mouthpiece as we continue to see the growing number of cases like this that have been televised. And, you know, they're basically just shouting out opinions. Everybody wants the highest charge given and doesn't really recognize the burden of proof that it takes to actually see that come to fruition down the road. But I also think that there is a contingency that, quite frankly, just doesn't understand the process but talks about it anyway. So we have to leave the lawyering to the actual lawyers, the people who went to law school, the folks who have passed the bar, the folks who are actually fighting on behalf of these families. But beyond that, we also have to understand that, like you pointed out a minute ago, depending on the state that you're in, there are very stark differences between the time that you could possibly serve for a crime um, at, at its highest level versus some of these um, versus some of these other charges that may be there. And we have to be mindful that the burden of proof 
largely increases the higher the charge. So I, I definitely think that it makes a difference to understand just how this all works, but also the settlement aspect. Because in the majority of these cases, even if a police officer walks off, which is what happens in 99%, and I say that not as an exaggeration, in 99% of cases where a police officer is charged in a fatality, they end up walking. Their only relief that can possibly happen in the majority of these family situations where they're left putting, you know, putting the pieces back together is a settlement. And to do anything that would diminish that for them, a settlement, no matter what the size, is not going to bring back somebody who was abused and, um, and you know, fatally murdered by a, by a police officer. But it does matter. And I think that anything that goes against or could diminish that for a family is not something that we should be standing for. There should be more of an understanding in the in the African-American community specifically about how these how these trials work, but also how the how the settlement process works, because, quite frankly, I think that in many cases, um, just as Reese brought up earlier, they see it as, well, Benjamin Crump lost this or he lost that. And they're not really recognizing, first and foremost, that he's not on the defense team. He's not so this is not his job. But mm -hmm. it, it, on top of all of that, when we're talking about these settlements, for many families, that is the essential win. Again, nothing brings back their family. But in 99% of cases, these officers will walk. And if an officer is going to walk, because we haven't reached in America the, 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 the point at which black lives are treated as white lives when it comes to murder, detriment, and all types of chaos that happens, then what do we get from this? And I think that the settlement process historically has been one that we've seen happen in city after city. But again, for depending on who it is, we see these stark variances between how much is given to families. And in large part, that is due to people kind of jumping the gun when it comes to some of these charges. So I'm glad that Benjamin Crump elevated that because it's a very important thing to note. Well, and again, well, uh, and I just want folks to remember, I, I just want people to remember, when we talk about settlements, we didn't lose a family member. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not the ones who are taking care of somebody's children. Uh, and so I, 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 am, I am very sensitive, uh, Greg, Reese, and Amisha, to the community. And people say we want justice. But as somebody uh, who's interviewed Jacob, Jacob Blake's dad and Robbie Tolan's mom and Gwen Carr, Eric Garner's mother, and Sandra Bland's mom, and uh, John Crawford III's dad, uh, the reality is this. I think the public, the people who out there who comment, need to remember they buried a loved one. They're now, in a lot of cases, having to take care of grandchildren because somebody was killed at the hands of police. Uh, and so I'm very sensitive uh, when people have uh, issues with settlements uh, because we're not the ones who have to take care of families once somebody's gone. Uh, I do want to let's talk about this here in Georgia where, uh, and we see this all the time, where the attorneys representing the man who killed Ahmaud Arbery now want to include uh, his criminal history in his trial. Uh, the legal team for Travis McMichael, Gregory McMichael, and William Roddy Bryan insists that Arbery should be held accountable for the theft crimes he committed and, quote, his angry and aggressive physical and verbal behavior. Now, keep in mind, Amar Arbery was never detained for theft. That was never proven. Prosecutors have strongly objected to including these details as evidence because they did not know the incidents when they pursued and killed Arbery. The McMichaels continued to argue that Arbery was a burglar suspect who had been stealing items from the neighborhood. They also claimed they shot him in self-defense after he, quote, attacked them, although he ran in the opposite direction. 
course, they have, tri- they have pleaded not guilty in the federal court on hate crimes charges. Their state murder trial will take place on October 18th. Also in Georgia, a man is suing the officer uh, who shot and killed Rayshard Brooks. That officer, of course, uh, is uh, the, is uh, Garrett Rolfe. Now, Charles Johnson is seeking a million dollars. Johnson was stopped by Officer Garrett Rolfe for a DUI just a month before Brooks' death. The suit claims during the stop, Rolfe broke Johnson's collarbone among inflicting other minor injuries, causing him to undergo two surgeries to repair his shoulder and lose more than $200,000 in income and medical expenses. Johnson says he did not do anything that would cause Rolfe to use force against him. Rolfe claims that Johnson was resisting arrest. Body cam and dash cam videos, quote, are not available for release at this time, pending an open investigation and litigation, according to the Atlanta Police Department. Remember, Rolfe was fired after the death of Brooks uh, in May of last year, but was, was reinstated this month due to the city not properly following protocols uh, protecting officers from being fired. Uh, also, folks, uh, in Minneapolis, the trial for the three cops uh, who were involved in the death of George Floyd, uh, that trial will be moved to March of 2022. The reason? For things to cool off when it comes to all the attention surrounding the conviction of Derek Chauvin which I don't understand why you're saying cool things off. Uh, he's going to go He's gonna go to uh, court in June, Reese, uh, to be sentenced. The trial was supposed to start in August for the other three officers. Now they moved to March 2022. I mean, Jesus. Uh, we still see how cops get the benefit of the doubt. Because uh, I, I take it if any one of us did something, they wouldn't be waiting for things to cool <laughs> off. Right. And, I mean, this is why... You have to have a, a, a rally on the anniversary of a death because what they try to do is they try to drag it out. They try to hope that people forget. They hope that people go home and move on to the next police shooting or move on to the next controversy or whatever the situation may be. And I don't think that they're going to be able to wait this out. As far as cooling it off, what the hell is that supposed to fucking mean? That is ridiculous. You don't cool off because at the end of the day, you cannot bring George Floyd back. It's not going to be any less tragic and it's not going to be any less of a big deal and a big story in March of 2022. And so all they're doing is just dragging this out and and it's just not going to go away. And I wish that they would not do that because unfortunately they are, they're prolonging the amount of time that George Floyd's family gets to have justice and gets to have closure. They're never gonna have the closure in terms of their grieving process, but at least the closure in terms of the criminal justice system process. And so that is so unfair to the family. And, and this just is how they just continue to just rig the game against victims of police brutality. Uh, also, the judge, you have a federal trial, and so the judge said that before jury selection begins with the state trial of these cops, he wants the federal trial to move forward first. Uh, you have all of this back and forth. Bottom line, uh, Amisha, it's about seeking justice. Folks want them go to trial uh, so they can also be dealt with for the death of George Floyd. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right here. I think that there is a there is a fever pitch amongst those who were in the streets for an exorbitant amount of time last year. Let's not forget that the George Floyd protests were the longest standing civil rights protests that America has ever seen. And I think that on the on the back end of that, we've seen so many Republican states push these 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 laws, these bills that they have initially described basically to end black people fighting for civil rights and justice in the streets. And I think that that comes into play when we're talking about, you know, these these other officers facing the music as well, because 
many people honestly felt like after Derek Chauvin had his day in court and after he was found guilty on all three charges, that this was done. And there are a lot of white Americans who just want to close the book on this, say, okay, black folks, you got what you wanted. You got somebody who got tagged. Now let's all move on. It shows that justice can be served. It shows that a jury can actually, you know, stand in your favor. It shows that America's not racist. Let's move on. We saw a video. It was bad. Derek Chauvin got tried. He got convicted. Let's, you know, live to see another day and keep it moving. That is not what we are doing here because there were other culpable people there. These officers are culpable for not taking any types of efforts to stop Derek Chauvin for killing George Floyd. These are officers who were also problematic, and these are officers who also ignored the oath that they took when they became police officers. So yes, they should be held accountable. But to Reese's point, again, I think that there is such a denial when it comes to the fact that they are some people who need to be held culpable, but there's also ignorance, I think, to the fact that they assume that just because Derek Chauvin, you know, he's gotten his trial over here, right now we can move on. We can prolong this for as long as possible, and hopefully people will stop talking about it. Hopefully, you know, there will be more trials, there will be more there will be more issues that arise between now and whenever they set this trial for that we don't have to think about it anymore. And I think that that's a problem because it shows just how many, um, just how many people within this, within this legal system, within the police department itself, as well as those who just ignore the fact that police brutality continues to happen. It shows just how much they really do not value black lives. And the fact that they are willing to hide their hands when it comes to others who are definitely deserve to have their day in court as well. They're just hoping that we will continue to, that we will not talk, that we will not protest, we will not hashtag, and that they can go on with their days as if nothing ever happened. And Greg, on that Amal Arbery case, I mean, to have to see the attorney still playing these games uh, about uh, Amal Arbery. So you want to you want to uh, you want to continue to assert that he was uh, stealing stuff. You got no proof. You got nothing. Just because you claiming it don't mean it's true. Well, I mean, there, there is something that they could introduce in this process that might be able to. Uh, create a pathway for them to admit his prior behavior. And by the way, we know that that's the playbook generally. Uh, These are subhuman animals who are out here, and we were basically protecting humanity from these black animals. And so always trying to admit this prior stuff. Uh, But there is one possible pathway. It might require, you know, delving into the background of the the father and son to to demonstrate that somehow inbreeding uh, might actually create a form of ESP. So that they might actually be able to know what was in the brain uh, of Ahmad Aubrey at the time. Now, now, if, they, now if, they, if they're willing to admit that and bring that in, perhaps they can get the prior record in. But but in all seriousness, uh, shout out to the Hillbillies of Georgia. Your cousin, Peter Cahill, the judge in, in Minneapolis, uh, finally found a point of entry for exercising his own white nationalism by Mm -hmm. kicking the can down the road to 2022, trying to intervene on behalf of law enforcement. And and I think it's important for us to understand that this isn't a country, it's not a nation. You understand, there's too many different moving parts. And I think one of the things we have to be better at as we organize, as we connect, as we communicate, is developing some centers, some nerve centers. It would be nice if one of the HBCUs would do it, but I I don't really think that at this stage they're really in in the frame of mind to do it, any of them, so that we can begin to think more deeply about how these parts affect each other. Every settlement, for example, the $27 million settlement in, in Minneapolis, which uh, uh, Chauvin's uh, attorney tried to get uh, get K- 
Cahill to intervene, and he did intervene long enough to poll the jurors. But then that's preserved now for appeal. They're going to use that to appeal to get the, the, the verdict overturned. They probably won't succeed, but that's not really where I'm going with this. What I'm saying is that folk have to understand that every dollar that a, a city or municipality uh, gives to a family is probably going to show up in a, a cut of social services so that that, in fact, and then there is no right or wrong answer in this, but what I'm saying is that we have to understand how all these pieces move together. So as we are, as, as folks lose family members and are thrust into this spotlight that nobody wants, if we don't want it, this thing to unfold the way it's unfolding, then we need to put resources in the hands of those families. We need to be able to bump that up. It, what, this, the case you covered the other day in Virginia with the sister who got stopped by Virginia straight troopers, there's even a consequence of legalizing uh, recreational use of marijuana. What does that mean? That means the cops now are saying, okay, here's another way for us to perhaps generate revenue by trying to figure out ways to man. You know, that's what the police do all the time because they are hunting. If you're a cop, you're part of a hunting group. You're all hunting. You, th this whole this whole technique of riding up on the back of somebody and hitting the lights, and then if they don't act right, and then that's your excuse to pull them over. Now you're trying to smell. Are you smoking weed, man? You hit them with a bunch of tickets, and then you hope that they don't contest and show up. That's a couple more dollars in the coffer. And then when you shoot somebody in your hunt, and they settle with the little municipality, you take that out of public services. You take that out of all kind of other stuff other than police. And then you pass a law like you're doing in Texas to say any municipality that tries to cut the budget of the police, we're going to say, we are going to punish you. All of these things work together. And until we get some centers for folk to have deep conversations about how these things work very specifically, we caught up like, like people running into brick walls. We don't understand anything. And then we sit back, which is why I, I don't have a whole lot of hope about the American Negro surviving, but we fight not because we're going to survive. We fight because the alternative is to just sit down and take the L. And we simply can't do that. But understand their team is organized. They're organized around whiteness. So shout out to those inbred brothers down there with ESP in Georgia and their cousin Peter Cahill because they all on Team White and Team White going to be whipping ass until we decide mm. to get their hands up off us. Mm. Damn. Alright folks, uh, we got to go to a break. We're here in Baytown, Texas. When we come back, uh, we'll talk with the founder of Radio One, now Urban One, about this year's Urban One Honors, honoring uh, sisters who have been on the front lines, not just in politics, but also in social justice. We'll chat with Kathy Hughes. That's next on Roland Martin Unfiltered, again, broadcasting live here in Baytown, Texas, demanding justice for Pamela Turner. We'll be back in a moment. Are you trying to say that as of January 20th, that President Trump will be president? That depends on what happens on Wednesday. President Trump won this election. Do you think the election was stolen? Absolutely. At this point, we do not know who has prevailed in the election. This fraud was systemic, and I dare say it was effective. This is a contested election. President Trump won by a landslide. The outcome of our presidential election is seized from the hands of voters. We have to make sure that they look into what has been the theft of this presidential election. Joe Biden lost and President Trump won. Whatever happens to President Trump, he is still the elected president. I would love to see this election overturned. No 
one believes that this guy got 80 million votes. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. No ragtag group of liberal activists will be allowed to steal this election. The president wasn't defeated by huge numbers. In fact, he may not have been defeated at all. Over the next 10 days, we get to see the ballots that are fraudulent. And if we're wrong, we will be made fools of. Black women are fierce, brilliant, courageous, dope. Black women are making a difference, making history, and changing the world. I think about all of the black women who have showed up to fight for justice. We are starting to finally accept all the skills and talents a woman can bring to the table. Urban One, thank you. This one is so special. Everybody, it's your man, Fred Hammond. Hi, my name is Brisha Webb, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Ow. Well, I like a nice filter usually, but we can be unfiltered. All right, folks, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Baytown, Texas, where we were covering the rally early today. Uh, for Pamela Turner, who was killed at this apartment complex uh, two years ago today. And so if you want to see uh, the results of the rally, uh, it's on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can check that out um, when uh, we are done. All right, folks, um, at, at this rally, at this rally, both uh, Monique Presley as well as Tamika Mallory, they talked about uh, black women and the role that they have been playing, protesting, organizing, marching uh, all across uh, this country, uh, and not just uh, in that particular area, but also them uh, leading in areas such as media, business, and politics. And so this year's Urban One Honors, airing on TV One and Clio TV, is focused specifically on black women. Uh, I had the opportunity to co-host that uh, with Erica Campbell, uh, and I was asked to do so by Kathy Hughes, founder of Radio One, which is now known as Urban One. And she joins us right now on Roland Martin Unfiltered, making her debut on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, Miss Hughes, glad to see you. How you doing? I'm doing great. Sorry that uh, you all are down in Texas because this is my debut on your show. Love it. Watch it frequently. Yep. And uh, just so, so thankful that you were willing to host Urban One Honors with Erica Campbell. You did a great job, Roland. I want everyone to know that you oh. saved the day. You rewrote the script. You directed. You did everything, and I thank <laughs> you for that. Now, I and didn't dance. do all that, y'all, but we did that. We, we, <laughs> we're not going to got to have some dancing now. You know, being That's an alpha, right. you know, uh, got to have a little. I got to have some dancing. Uh, and, yeah, Ricky Smiley, I know you jealous, uh, but it's all good. Uh, <laughs> so, but let's talk about uh why focus specifically uh, this year uh, just on uh, black women and the role that they played in so many areas? Roland, I've been frustrated for a long time how inaccurately black women are portrayed in movies, in the media, in music. And so many of our young women think that to be successful, they need to look a certain way. They must be a certain size. Uh, they concentrate on lashes and nails and weaves more than they concentrate on how to really make a difference in our community. So I wanted to show them some highly successful, highly accomplished black women who also look good, 
could uh, afford those handbags that are so popular with young people, more, but more importantly, accept the responsibility for doing something that moves the needle for the progress of black people. Well, the thing that's important, I think, for, for me when it comes to Urban One Honors, just like when the Trumpet Awards is – it's, it's not about it's not about entertainment. And look, I got I got I tell people all the time I got nothing against entertainment. Uh, I, I watch it, I love it, but I do believe that we as African Americans, uh, I dare say, are singing and laughing ourselves to death. And I think uh, this generation of Black folks need to see Black people who are doctors, who are CEOs, who are politicians who are activists, who are in, in these roles that are not accustomed to, because that also represents uh, the African diaspora. It represents all that we are. We can do more than sing and dance. Absolutely. Or, or play ball. You know, it's either sports or music to most young people because they don't see examples of high achievement, black excellence, and you know, this all started with me deciding that I needed to do something to celebrate the legacy of my mother and the International Sweethearts of Rhythm. And tell them, Roland, our music for this show is absolutely the best. Kim Burst worked for over a decade. Oh, yeah. She did all of uh, Beyonce's music and all of her concerts, all of her stage performances. She took my mother's music from the 1930s and 40s and rearranged it into a contemporary presentation. It is absolutely hot and just in, incredibly fabulous because what bothered me is my mother lived all those years, all those decades without any type of recognition when she died over 140 news outlets covered her death. COVID took my mother. And because of the connection between COVID and the fact that she was an entertainer, all of a sudden they start telling her story. Well, out of those 18 women, only one is still alive. And I thought to myself, my goodness, why couldn't they have told the story of the International Sweethearts of Rhythm that Earl Father Hines called the very first freedom writers in the civil rights movement in this country, while some of them were still alive? And then it dawned upon me, I've got a vehicle where I can tell the stories of success while these women are still alive, still actively involved, and I don't didn't want to miss this opportunity because historically, uh, our, our honors has been an award show. It's been entertainment based. Well, not this year. It's action and activity based instead. And that's why you were chosen. We, that's uh, why you uh, were asked to host. Because nobody knows more about what's going on in the black community than Roland Martin. I said that to you when I called and asked you, would you? except uh, the hosting responsibility. Nobody, you are like a walking encyclopedia on everything that's going on in the African-American community. And that was very important for me to have someone who not only could do a good job hosting, but was knowledgeable. I mean, you shared stories with us that weren't even in the script. Well, I I, uh, I did a whole bunch of paying attention uh, to uh, my alpha brother and your good friend Dick Gregory, uh, and I was uh, my mom, mom and daddy made it clear uh, you better read a whole bunch of books as much as you can, and so uh, that's that's why that's important, and and I certainly appreciate that uh, because it 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 again I go back to I go back to 
what this year's emphasis is, and that's why I also quickly said yes, because when we tell our story, when we are able uh, to highlight these folks who are doing these amazing things, uh, I just think for the next generation, they're able to say, wait a minute, we can do way more than what uh, we think about. When I see black people in private equity, when I see black people uh, as, yes. as, as scientists and, and doing, I mean, we talk yeah. about a COVID vaccine and you got this sister uh, who played a huge role in uh, making that happen. I mean, those, and then of course you got this doctor in Philadelphia who one of the honorees uh, who's out there with the mobile clinics and getting black folks tested for COVID, trying to save lives. I mean, that's why we do what we do. Uh, and you, of course, are the one coined the phrase, uh, information is power and if we don't have the information in many ways we're powerless absolutely i mean this sister in philadelphia paid for these tests because many of the people that she was testing were uninsured so she paid for it she didn't know about the cares act being passed she didn't even know there she told the lab test them give me the results and bill me for the results i mean the things that black women have done since the very beginning I mean, Nicole Hannah-Jones, I thought that Dick Grazer and I were pretty well informed with our morning show. I did not know about 1619. I had no idea that a year before the Mayflower landed with the Pilgrims, that the slaves were, okay, the Africans were brought over enslaved to prepare the land for the white folks that were coming. The Mayflower had not even sailed. When these uh, Africans, uh, enslaved Africans, were brought here to the shores of America. So it wasn't the Mayflower that first brought people to the shores of America. It was the White Lion. That was the name of the sailing vessel. And uh, Nicole deserves a Pulitzer because a lot of people, I've asked so many people since I learned about her work. You know what 1619 is? And they're like, no, what's 1619? I said, the arrival of, oh, no, that's not the right date. That's not the right date. Uh, they came after the Mayflower. And I said, no, they came before the Mayflower. This sister, these women that we're going to be honoring that evening are so important. And then, Roland, you know that our, our lead-in is going to be this special with DMX that we did that he asked us to do three weeks before he died. And we're doing it in two parts. Mm. First. Sunday night as the um, lead-in to Urban One Honors, but then the second part at, at 8 will be DMX, and then Monday night at 10 o'clock, the second part of the interview with DMX featuring his mother, his ex-wife, and hopefully several of his 17 children. Uh, let's go to uh, questions uh, from uh, my panelists. We're on the black women, so we're going to start with uh, at Black Women Views on uh, Twitter. Reese, <laughs> Reese, your question for uh, Kathy Hughes. Um, not a question so much as a comment. I definitely want to thank you for choosing to highlight black women in leadership in particular this time. The reason why I'm on Roller Martin Unfiltered is because part of my charge was really combating the marginalization and erasure of now Vice mm -hmm. President Kamala Harris. So I hope I should yes. be an honoree, but I hope that she gets a vignette or something. Um, during the no, she she's the opening. She's the opening. Okay, okay, okay. Yes, it, 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 yes. It, no, she's the very first. She's up to bat first. She is the most powerful black woman in America. She's up first. The most powerful woman of woman. Ohio period. Yes. Woman excuse me. Correction. Exactly. So just, the most I powerful just, woman of all time is up first. 
And then it's Angela Davis right after her. Okay, okay. Power to the people. I just wanted to make that comment because I have to, if, if black woman in leadership is mentioned, I have to make sure if nothing else happens that Vice President Kamala Harris is mentioned. So thank you Ab again. Absolutely, absolutely. We're so honored that she took the time to be with us. And uh, in fact, I have to go uh, early in the morning to the studio to do a pickup uh, because our VOG, uh, uh, Deanna Williams, is not available tomorrow. And uh, the vice president's um, uh, taping is only taking place late tonight. So we'll get okay. it in the morning. She will lead the parade. That's wonderful. Thank you. And thank you. And thank you for doing what you're doing because it bothers me still to hear newscasters on Fox mispronouncing her name. Uh, and, and referring to her like she's their next door neighbor, Kamala right. Harris, like they know her, okay? And you're yeah. right, the most powerful woman. I will stop saying most powerful black woman, the most powerful woman in the United States of America deserves to be respected. Thank you. Thank well, you. well, I, well, Kathy, Reese can say she know her because he know. Don't everybody get a phone call from the vice president when she announced she pregnant, uh, and then when she had a baby. So, uh, oh, Reese almost a member of the family. Thank so, you. Yeah. So, Reese, Reese almost a member of of, of the uh, of the Harris family. So uh, that's how <laughs> that's how she rolled. Uh, <laughs> uh, Amisha, your question for Kathy Hughes. Well, first off, I want to thank you for all the work that you have done, not only recently, but over decades at this point. I think my question lies in why this year when it came to changing what the honors actually look like? Because we see so many award shows that, quite frankly, mm -hmm. um, award shows and different things now that, you know, everything is basically virtual, that honor Black women athletes, that honor Black women entertainers. Why was your move so important to honor people who have done so much in terms of civic engagement, in terms of pushing, pushing legislation that matters, in terms of being the voice for the voiceless? I think that those women are oftentimes, you know, left to the relics of history if they're ever brought up at all, but they're not necessarily honored and definitely not honored while they're still living and breathing amongst us. So kudos to you for that. I think it's amazing. But I am wondering at this point in history, what was the pivotal moment for you? Why did you decide that now was a time to elevate these individuals? The death of my mother to COVID. When the New York Times, New York Magazine, LA Times, CNN, MSNBC, I appreciated the coverage. Over 140 major news outlets covered it. But I cannot tell you how difficult those interviews were for me and how bitter, quite frankly, I was that here her highly accomplished orchestra of 18 accomplished musicians because they were women, they were left on the curb. And so I really came to the conclusion that I was criticizing a process that had affected my family directly that I had the ability to do something about. And so I knew that we were going to do Urban One Honors and I'm like, well, I'm going to change the direction because how can I be critical of the fact that no one gave women because they were black primarily and because they were women the credit that they were justly due when i wasn't doing it so it's kind of like if not me then who and that's why i changed it i mean the interviews that i did i mean as recent as the Grammys, she was on the in memory scroll now you know just burst out crying once again it's so much emphasis on her life now that she's gone 
There's only one member of the band still alive out of 18 women in the band. None of them got to see that finally America, you know, said job well done. And these women fought sexism and racism throughout the South, went to Germany, and the minute the war was over, they were left on the curb. All the men came back. The men weren't available to, you know, populate the bands, the orchestra, because they had to go to war. As soon as they came back, the women were left on the corner. And, I mean, for years I asked people, have you ever heard of a sweetheart, the rhythm? They're like, no, what's that? Even Kim Burst told me that as much as she has studied music and musicians, she had no idea. This sister had major surgery three weeks before we had to take her um, and the KB players, all women band. She told me if she had to come in there on a stretcher. She said when she realized how this void had been created and these women had done so much, not just in music, but also in civil rights, fighting sexism and racism and still succeeding and had been forgotten. She said, oh, no, I was determined. And Roland, I tell you, this sister is unbelievably gifted and talented. The music for the show is the best, I think, presentation of any show I've ever seen with a, a major house band. And it's all women, young women, too. Well, you talk about history. Uh, the last person to ask a, the last person to ask a question will be Dr. Greg Carr, as you see with a stack of books behind him. He knows a little <laughs> bit something about history. <laughs> uh, Dr. Carr, before you ask me a question, I got a question for you. Why wouldn't Howard University assemble that think tank that you were talking about so that we could connect all those dots? You're right. There needs to be. A university, a uh, HBCU needs to sponsor a think tank to help us do a deep dive into how to be all of these, because we get bits and pieces, but there's no effort to bring it all together so that we actually understand what's taking place. Why wouldn't Howard University do that? Sister Hughes, I will say this as delicately as I can put it, and you have been working and building black <laughs> institutions for a very long time, including yeah. lending your name and co-mingling it with the name of John H. Johnson on, on the School of Communications at Howard University. I think we both know that the distance between what how we portray black excellence and how we actually achieve black excellence is still too uncomfortably large. We've got to close mm -hmm. that gap. We can't, we can't, we can't just say we're being excellent. You know better than anybody in this conversation. And as you say, that's why you went and got rolling. You've got to put the work in. I know we can do it, but perhaps with you saying that, I think we might actually close that gap a little bit. At how we, we should, we should definitely have an extended conversation around that. Um, I would be happy I, to, and I would be happy to lend my support to that. Um, uh, back in my early uh, days, before even moving to Washington D.C., I was very active. Uh, with uh, Nathan and his wife in California and the think tank. And so I, I oh came to that era. Yes. So think tanks are critical to understanding and disseminating the information to the masses. So I'd be more than happy to have the conversation with you, but I would also be more than happy to petition Howard University to be that institution to call our Black intelligentsia together, and let's really start connecting the dots for the masses. If we can't connect it for ourselves, how can we expect our masses to understand what's going on? Because I'm confused. Sister Hughes, you just spoke to my heart. The great Nathan and Julia here, you know, of course, 
that one of the reasons Howard let Nathan Hare go, which is why San Francisco State says it has the first black studies program in the country, one of the reasons they let him go is because they accused him of spreading black studies at Howard. So this brings it full circle. Please, let's talk. We could definitely do that. But I really, I don't want to, I know you, we're, we're, we're against the clock. I really want you, and you began to do it with Amisha, could you talk a little about the great Helen Jones Woods? I mean, Malcolm X's birthday is next Wednesday, and I know you got Omaha roots. And then as an educator, one of these books I have around here is one of the books by the great Lawrence Clifton Jones. I help the people who don't know, who may just know you as you emerged at WOL and an institution builder and then Radio One and now the, the whole network. Help them understand a little bit about your roots and how your mother plays in that, because that is a remarkable story. Thank you. You know, it's so interesting because um, Ancestry.com came to us uh, with an idea for uh, Black History Month. And uh, it was for a 20-year-old, a 40-year-old, and a 60-year-old. My staff submitted my name while I was a little out of the age group. <laughs> and my staff insisted. They said, no, research her. Turns out that my great-great-grandmother, my great-great-great-grandmother, three great, my, uh, on my mother's side, uh, was a slave. She freed all 11 of her children, escaped from Kentucky to Iowa, then raised the money. Char uh, Charlotta Piles is her name. Raised the money, went back, and purchased the freedom of her two sons-in-law because she didn't want her grandchildren being reared without them. Frederick Douglass wrote poems to her and published them in the Frederick Douglass Journal. She was a uh, running mate of Harriet Tubman. Uh, there are letters that they have found where people were telling, written to Harriet Tubman saying what you and Carlotta are doing is changing, okay, America. And so I said, oh, my goodness, I had no idea, okay, on my mother's I knew about my grandfather, Dr. Lawrence T. Jones, and Pinewood School, which is still open. I had no idea that my great-great-great-grandmother was an abolitionist. She spoke all over. She spoke in New York. She raised $1,500 twice to go back and spend $3,000 freeing the two men who had married her two daughters so that her <laughs> grandchildren would not be raised without them. And in Iowa, she's like a, a major figure. They teach about her in the schools. I had no idea that this was my mother's great-great-grandmother. So, and my grandfather I, I started out. Pinewood School in 1909. Yes. We're yes. still alive and well. In fact, now I'm trying to raise money because a tornado hit the school uh, last week what? going through Mississippi, took down two buildings and knocked out all the windows in our dormitory. But we still have 150 kids that we board and educate. 100% uh, of them go to college each year. And we have produced some of the biggest names in politics, medicine, and others. We take children who are economically deprived and we provide them education housing and love free of charge. We don't have any government support. We do all this uh, with contributions and we've been doing it now for 116 years. So that it's, it's kind of like uh, I understood myself a little better when I learned about my great-great-great-grandmother, uh, Charlotta Powell. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Kathy. In fact, I, I'm looking at my copy of Outside In, The History of Blacks in Iowa. Now I got to go look her up tonight. Thank you for the home. Charlotta Powell. Yes, ma'am. I got it. No, oh, please call me so I would be happy to champion this, this think tank. I mean, what Nathan and Judith did was so instrumental in how I see 
my responsibility to the African-American community uh, way before Dick Gregory and I, you know, worked together on my morning show. It was those think tanks. And I've wondered why over the years we have not been having them. Because also I tell young people all the time, the movement always was triggered in a university setting. And it wasn't just in black universities, it also was in Kent State. I mean, so much of the progress was because what we started in black universities was spilling over into white universities and white folks weren't gonna have their children gunned down by the police on a college campus. They weren't going to tolerate certain things. And that helped move our needle on what we were trying to get done, but it all started with an intellectual exchange that no longer exists in black America other than for shows like Roland, where black intelligentsia as well as the community can, can come on and discuss and explore things. But we need more than just one Roland Martin and one unfiltered. We need a university to really, really, really dive deep into this. You are so correct. Thank you. So I'll help. That leaves you. Uh, that Kathy, that leads me. Well, first of all, what, first, what I'll do is I will uh, I will uh, connect y'all two on a text message. Y'all can y'all can hook that up. That's not a problem. Kathy, I got I got to <laughs> ask you this here because it is something that uh, has I, I I've literally said this in speeches for the last thirty years that uh, that and as somebody who has studied um, uh, black media historically first black newspaper freedoms journal, March 16th, 1827. They wrote, we wish to plead our own cause too long. Have others spoken for us. Uh, there's so much emphasis, ad dollars going to black targeted media, not black owned. And I've said to people and people have told me out, they's like Roland, you're too fatalist. And I said, no, I have a genuine concern that if we see, Black-owned media, fewer black-owned radio stations, fewer black-owned TV stations. We see fewer African-Americans owning digital properties as well, that we're going to be asking somebody else to tell our story. And I said, that is the yes. worst thing in the world 30, 40 years from now. We're going to have to ask somebody else, please, please, baby, please, can y'all please cover us <laughs> and tell our story. Uh, and and j just speak to, again, for folks who don't know, how vital it is to have black-owned media, not black-targeted media. It, it, it's when you have to be in charge of your own information, because if not, it goes through the filter of another culture's perception and experience. And what Frederick Douglass, Ida B. Wells, what our ancestors understood is we should not expect for another culture to sing our praises, to tell our story, because they have their own stories. It's our responsibility. But what has happened over the years, when I started out with one little weak signal AM radio station in Washington, D.C., never could I have imagined that I would have ended up being the largest. Uh, the reason primarily is because all those who came before me Get down, got bought out, went away. They weren't able to prevail because one of the problems, one of the threats that, that Black-owned media represents is that because we are in charge of our own distribution of information, that the truth will be told. So consequently, 
they chop us off at the knees. Right now, the big controversy is about these these corporations that are not spending anywhere near the percentage of revenue with Black-owned businesses that is even comparable, even close to the amount of money that we spend to buy their products and services. But Roland, I have to honestly say that part of the problem has to do with the Black consumer. We have allowed ourselves Come on. use our dollars for other people's benefits. It's like now we're finally understanding that how powerful our vote is. So when you have black people who are bragging about loving empire and at the same time saying that they hate Fox News and not realizing that it's one bank account controlling <laughs> both the news and, okay, the programming, Again, wow. I got to go back to this think tank. We've got to help our consumers understand the power of our dollars. We have teenagers walking around with $2,000 handbags that have no idea that they, in fact, are financing their own suppression. They don't realize that, that mm. we as consumers are using our dollars to enslave our own self over and over and over again. What you said on Urban One Honors about, it's just not about slavery. It's about Jim Crow. It's about, okay, the fact that we have been tricked into thinking that the white man's ice is colder. We have, and it's very, very difficult to get black consumers to understand that we create the, the entire economic system of America with humble, if we just did, you know, the famous play, A Day of Absence, if we just did one day of absence and every black person in this country refused to spend one dollar, oh, we get a lot of progress made because this country could not survive with even a 24-hour short period of us being absent from the economic But we aren't taught that. We don't understand it. I want to show you this. I, I, I love my social media followers cuz they are uh, they they send me stuff that I don't necessarily know about uh y'all pull this up Kathy this was an advertisement that ran in Ebony and Jet in 1970 John H Johnson published this uh hmm. and uh, it was targeted companies he talked about the opinion leaders but and then he then he states in here he states in here that uh that Ebony is, he's, this is what he says. I'm just going to read it. Y'all leave the ad up. And I love this when he says, black people you see have come a long way since the good old days. Their opinions are being heard and felt. And for responsible black opinion leaders in America, there is one must magazine, Ebony. Ebony tells them which Nixon policies affect them most and how. Ebony tells them what Mayor Stokes and the 47 other black mayors are doing. Ebony tells them about black law enforcement officials you never heard of and black artists, inventors, businessmen and student leaders you never heard of and black writers. There are now so many, we launched the Ebony Book Club last fall, the first of its kind, which explains why nearly 5 million urban blacks look forward to Ebony each month and why over 80% of them never look at Life, Look, Time, Newsweek, or the Reader's <laughs> Digest. And remember, these millions in influence other millions. So what Ebony readers think about your product or company is what the black community at large will eventually think. So now that you know what's what and who's who, shouldn't we get together? Just say when. And then he lists the the phone numbers of his advertising people to call 
That was 1970. And when the General Motors says, oh, we're going from 1% to 2% this year. When another, when Group M announces, hey, by next year, we're going to spend 2% with black-owned media. When another agency said, we're going to spend 2%. I'm sitting here thinking, this was 1970. And that was the reason Ebony went to bankruptcy. There's a reason so many African-Americans, you used to go to the radio conferences, no longer in business. Because the reality is, we're being, is economic apartheid that is existing, and that's why. And the reality is we would have a black CNN if we were getting the billion-dollar profit CNN is getting or the billion-and-a-half-dollar profit Fox News gets. Absolutely. And, and Roland, the points that you've been making on this, I agree with you. Uh, when Many years ago, I read um, uh, organized a demonstration called the uh, Take It Back campaign against the Washington Post. And Catherine Graham was in China when uh, it took place. And uh, Ben Bradley and her son, Don, were, you know, feeding her information about how terrible it was. Well, when she came back to America, she said that she understood my righteous indignation, but she did not like the tactics that I used to bring it to her attention. I'm kind of in that same position with you. What you've been saying about General Motors is not incorrect because I am not retarded. I know how to count. I would need to know 2% of what? Is it 2% of a billion dollars? Is it 2% of a hundred million dollars? Right. Okay. All right. Okay. I know exactly what you're saying and I agree. Okay. I disagree that you're not returning my son's phone calls, even trying to reach you because he was like, <laughs> Roland never gave me the opportunity to participate in this. Okay. So one of the oh, things I, that, I, that I, I, I call him back, Kadai, but but you got but you, you got to let him know he called me last year about he called me last year about a deal. I hit him back, and he ain't hit me back for fourteen months. So I call him, tell him I'm gonna call him and show him. <laughs> okay, well you two need to get together because one of the things that that we have to really have to do as a people, we've got to learn to disagree with each other without getting disagreeable with each other because we're all fighting the same battle. We're all, there are no exceptions, okay, to, to this uh, war that's being waged against us. And uh, I could not agree more. You know, just telling me, and I know that I'm 12% of your sales, so you're going to tell me you're going to go two to four and then from four to eight in five years to get that accomplished. But I don't have any idea what you're taking the percentage of, and I'm being told now, because I've raised this question, someone said to me, uh, that I sounded like Roland Martin. I said, what he's saying is common sense. How are you going to give me a percentage of something that I don't know what you're giving me a percentage of? I'm not a child. Okay, I'm a right. executive. I've run a company for 41 years. I can read, write, and count. Okay, I'm the new <laughs> Negro. Okay, all right. Okay, like I said, we've been educating folks since my great-great-great-grandmother. Okay, we I have a school. And so... These issues, we just have to learn again. And I think that it's think tank and, and the, the, the good doctor, I think, will agree with me. It helps to really calm the waters between, like, Martin and Malcolm. It really brought people together to think and put emotion aside. We're to that point now in the history of these. Uh, there's a full-scale war. There is genocide going on against us. And for us to be worrying about... You know, how we look and, you know, what we've done, what our celebrity status is, that's all a distraction from the real issue of liberation. And so 
Uh, I think that we have to find a way to work with each other. And hey, we're human. We're not going to always agree, but we must learn to disagree without having to be disagreeable with each other. I love you, Roland. I don't think anybody in America, and I thank the sister for correcting me. I'm going to stop using the term black. Okay. You're the smartest <laughs> man I know. Okay. You're the most committed man I know. I don't know when you sleep. I'm going to have to double check and make sure you are in a government clone or something. Because I don't know how you could be everywhere no, at the same time. Okay, they must have given you some robotic parts or something. But that's the reason I asked you to host my <laughs> well, show. They... Because I'm a big, big, big admirer of your intellect. I'm a big admirer of your knowledge, your expertise. But most importantly, I'm a big admirer of your commitment to black people. That's foremost the most important thing to me. Is that even when I don't disagree with well, you, I, appreciate I know... That is for black people that you say and do what you do. And I mean that quite respectfully and well, quite sincerely. And I appreciate that. And and, and I've said I've said this here. Uh and I and, and I and I really need people, everybody who's watching to listen to what I'm about to say. And that is this here. If you want to understand why black owned matters, TV one was launched. Kathy Hughes, Alfred Liggins, they hired Jonathan Rogers to be the first CEO. Jonathan says, Roland, your voice is important. Uh, I'm going to have you on the network. He called me literally when they signed the deal. That wasn't even the name. wasn't even known as TV One. And all these people, I get, I travel around the country, Kathy, and people say, oh, my God, I love when you were on CNN. And I remind everybody, I was paid for my opinion by TV One before CNN. Mm-hmm. CNN asked me to leave TV One. They asked me to leave the mm-hmm. Tom Joyner Morning Show, and mm-hmm. I told them no. I said they paid me before y'all did, and I never forget on election night, two thousand eight, huge night. I told them I said I have to step away to do TV One two or three times, and one of the white executives said to me, "What are you doing?" We're in 200 countries. We're CNN. I said, but y'all ain't better than TV One. Wow. And I stepped wow. off that set and did it. And I need and I need people to understand that because you because you said it earlier about white ice being colder. I made it clear to them CNN was not better than TV One for me. They were bigger. They were not better. And I did not give them the validation where I say, oh, I've made it. I've arrived because I'm on CNN. So I'm just going to let the little black network go. No. And that was important. And so without TV one being created, now actually, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me properly unspool this. Without Jonathan Rogers being hired to run TV one, without TV one being created, which means that without Radio One being created, Without you by getting WOL, none of those things happen. So this show is a continuum in black-owned yes. media, and all of those things are part of it. And so we have to understand they don't work opposite of one another. It's part of the That's continuum right. of black-owned media since that first black newspaper in 1827. Final, final thoughts about this week. Final thoughts. Well, number one, please, Sunday night is a very important night for Black America. Please join us on TV One and Clio TV. 
So, Roland, now that you and I have exchanged these niceties, does that, does that mean I'll be invited back? Maybe I can qualify to be on one of the panels? <laughs> yeah. Now, hey, they, all you got to do is tell me when you get one come on the panel. Now, it, it get a little hot up in here. So, you know, but hey, you just let me know when you want to join the panel. Uh, in fact, Erica Savage-Wilson, uh, who's a regular panelist on Thursday, Erica uh, had a car accident, uh, and she's really going to be out for a year. We're praying for her. Uh, and so wow. you want to come back and sit on this panel with Reese, with Reese and Greg, come on, we bring the funk. All right. Absolutely. I love you. I appreciate you. And I am so thankful to God that you exist and that you do what you do. Because as I said, first and foremost, what I love most about you is your commitment to your people. And the fact that, as old folks used to say, you don't take no tea for the fever. It don't matter who it is. Uh, you hold us accountable. And that's, okay, admirable. That's so important. We have to be unafraid. We have to be brave. We have to be truthful. And we have to be knowledgeable. You're all of that, Roland. And I thank you and your panelists for helping me promote uh, not only the DMX uh, interview, but also Urban One Honors this year. And I look forward to you hooking me up with the chairman of African-American Studies for Howard University so that he and I can help get Howard University on the right track. All right. Well, I certainly appreciate it. Thank you for all that you've done. Uh, we appreciate uh, all of your hard work uh, over the years. You certainly uh, have done a lot for uh, black folks. A lot of African-Americans who are in media uh, owe uh, their careers uh, to what you launched. And so we appreciate it. Uh, Urban One Honors this Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern, TV One and Clio TV. Uh, we will be watching. I'll be live tweeting. Uh, give it up, folks, uh, for uh, the great Kathy Hughes. Kathy, thank you so very much. And I'm going to hold you to it. Hey, you're back on the panel now. So when a <laughs> brother Sure. You. Don't talk about our busy, but we now we because we, we gonna bring it. All right, I'll look forward to it. Thank you, and thank all of you all. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. All right, y'all. We come black, come back to the show. I said we come black. Uh, <laughs> Netflix uh, has a show uh, starring Mike Epps as well as Wanda uh, Wanda Sykes. I'm going to show you my interview with them. And I was in Houston yesterday handing out uh, two $1,000 scholarships at my high school, Jack Case High School. Uh, we're going to show you some of that as well. Uh, all of that, Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Baytown, Texas. And we'll be back in a moment. Shortly after 9-11, America and its allies went to war in Afghanistan to defeat a terrorist stronghold. We accomplished that mission years ago. Trillions of dollars lost, over 2,000 Americans dead, countless Afghans dead. It's time to get out. Many presidents have tried to end the war in Afghanistan, but President Biden is actually going to do it. And by 9-11, over 20 years after the war was started, the last American soldier will depart, and America's longest war will be over. Promise made, promise kept. This is the year of the woman. We are here. We are capable. My optimism for our future has never been greater than now. Black women are making a difference, making history, and changing the world. Yo, what's up? This your boy Ice Cube. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Oh, me? Yeah. They know me. We know intro.
Hell, I can text. I can text two or three of y'all. I, I was like, why didn't you text me that you was gonna be on? No, well, you know, it had to be a little surprise. Well, I can't text Mike because you know he changed his cell phone like we changed, like we changed water cups of water. <laughs> I, Mike run away from bill collectors, but it's it's all good. You're it's right. Not- hey man, you looking good, man. You must be on that keto diet, boy. No, I'm not on the keto diet. I'm on the Negro diet. Uh, <laughs> that's the one I'm on. Glad to see uh, all three of y'all. We don't have much time, but we we can set up a separate interview on my show because I own it and I ain't got to ask nobody. So let's let's get right to this thing. Uh, My my dad worked for Amtrak. Mom did insurance claims. Neither one ever went to college. Uh, So I identify with a daddy blue collar trying to take care of his family. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's what that, you know, I, I got fortunate enough and lucky enough and blessed enough to hook up with Wanda Sykes, who was able to bring her comedic talent and bring her writing and bring her skills of, you know, Wanda wrote for Roseanne and all that. So for me, I'm just a ghetto guy, man, trying to tell some jokes. She, her and Kim is about to take my stock all the way up now. <laughs> Well, Wanda, luckily, I luckily, uh, my daddy did not have to deal with it with any ignorant sister-in-laws. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but 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 you are a wee bit extra on the brother. Hey, I you know what? It's like I, Lucretia has to stay on Benny to make sure Benny does right by her sister because Lucretia will she will kill somebody for her sister. So you know she's just trying she's just trying to make everybody everybody do right. Right. That's her own way of staying on message. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, one of the things, well, one of the things, Kim, uh, that is is always vital, something that obviously I believe in with Black-owned media matters, but also the importance of showing the Black family dynamic. Now, look, uh, white folks, Latinos, Asians, Native Americans, look, everybody, there are some similarities. Black families a little bit different in terms of how we roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's one thing I love about this show, Roland, is that you do have all the touch points that everybody can relate to. You have the complex issues of family life and family dynamics that everyone can relate to. It's just we all relate differently. And so, yes, Black folks, how we relate intermingling with our family, you know, mess um, can be its own unique love affair with life itself. And I feel like that's what Wanda and Regina, our amazing writers room, Mike, that they really all capture that so well and really find a great balance with um, all of the spices and flavors. Mike said earlier, this show is like a gumbo. And so you've got a lot of ingredients that make everybody go, I can't get enough of this. I want to watch some more. I know this character, that character is me. Wanda, uh, you talk, uh, Mike talked about the writing, uh, but the, w- w- were there times when you said, Man, boy, just let it rip. Just, just, just take it, and we just gonna keep rolling and see where you're going with it. Or that you say, stick to the script. Oh, oh, come on now. Um, I mean, <laughs> we to, to make this thing work, Mike. You know, we 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 need Mike to bring that Mike into this character. Mm-hmm. You know, like Mike. Mike knows Benny, so and and that's why he. I mean, it's, he's such a good actor. You know, on, on the show, and uh, so. 
you know, sometimes writing, we would be in the room and we and we get stuck. And I was like, this doesn't feel like. And I I would call Michael, text Mike, yeah. and say, hey man, here's the situation. What do oh, you think yeah. Vinny would do? What how would he respond? Because that's the one thing that we have to do is 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 protect. You know, we can have a lot of fun and it's you know and this balls out funny, but we also have to protect the character, keep it authentic because that's the only because you know, like you said, black folks are different. Our audience, they they'll they'll see right through this. You know, mm-hmm. and that's why we have to make sure it's it's like on point and real, and uh, and I think we're we're, we're reaching that goal. We're doing it. Mike, she said, uh, Mike knows Benny. No, you are Benny, just with money, <laughs> just with money. Come on, bro. <laughs> hey, I love you, boy. I love you. I love you. You're so silly, man. We gotta bring him on the show, man. We gotta bring him as a character. When we first met, I, 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 we were talking about the thing. I said, well, Mike, if, if we're going to have you in it, you know it's got to be messy. We got to have some mess in it. <laughs> so it got to be a little messy. <laughs> Why do you used to say, just be you in this and on this piece right here? Just be yourself. <laughs> Just be you, just be you, messy and doing your thing. Well, uh, it is certainly uh, a potent combination uh, with the three of you. Uh, I've always enjoyed the work, and I think uh, the audience audience certainly uh, will as well. So it's always great to chat with y'all. Keep doing uh, well. Uh, And Mike, text me. My number ain't changed, so I don't have bill collectors. So, you know, I don't know what your number is now, you know, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, one of you can text me too. Keep doing them dances, man, with the outfits on, man. He a fool on there. <laughs> My legs work. I'm a user. <laughs> All right, folks. Go. I appreciate it. Love y'all. Y'all take care. Love you too. Oh, the Upshaws, Wanda Sykes, Mike Epps, as well as Kim Fields. Y'all can check that out uh, right now, streaming on Netflix. Uh, folks, uh, I am uh, back home. Baytown was only about uh, 30 minutes, not even 30 minutes uh, from Houston. Uh, and yesterday, I was at my alma mater, Jack Yates High School, uh, uh, presenting a couple of thousand dollar scholarships uh, to, to two deserving students. And here is uh, some of that presentation. First, the, st- the School Communications uh, Scholarship winner uh, is Dion Nicole Odom. She almost messed up. She almost messed up when she told me where she was going to college. <laughs> Luckily, she said the University of Texas at Arlington. 
Because if she said University of Texas at Austin, she would be immediately disqualified. State of Holland, Texas A&M graduate. Uh, the winner is Kiera McGee. He provides 
Again, shout out to uh, Principal Guillory and Superintendent Granita Lathan, uh, of course, who is headed to uh, Missouri. Thank you so very much. The, the, the point that uh, this important here, um, and I'm, this read the final comment for each one of my panelists, and Amisha, I'll start with you, is this is what happens when we demand our fair share, when we are able uh, to increase resources that go to black-owned companies, then we are able to then take those same resources and not only provide opportunities for our families, but also for other folks as well. The reason black folks aren't able to give more is because we're getting less as workers. When you got somebody white with a high school diploma who's making more than a black person with a college degree, we've got more debt. When our black businesses are not getting fair share as well, there is a reason you have a wealth gap, and it's because we're getting 1% and 2% and not our fair share. That's why we're doing this fight on the media side. For, for that, what we just saw right there, the ability to be able to give back. Roland, that was pitch perfect. We not only have a wealth gap, we also have a humanitarian effort and relief gap. And it's not because black people don't want to give. It's because we have not received our fair share in this economy, not only for work, but also when it comes to black media, as you spoke of. And I, and I know several others, thank you for being out on the forefront of this for years now. You're not new to this. You are true to it. And you have been pushing and talking about it for so long, trying to get people on board, trying to not only help our community understand why it's important, but also to hold the feet to the fire of these private corporations that have the dollars, but consistently spend them on places that aren't black media. I think that it makes a real difference. We saw that and I was, you know, very grateful to see that, you know, vignette of you and and the scholarship money that was given. That means something. That can change the lives of young people completely. And I think that, you know, when we think about our community and how much education means to our community specifically as a gateway to access, as a gateway to opportunity, we have to recognize that when it comes to um, when it comes to black media, when it comes to investment in ourselves, when it comes to getting our fair share economically, that is one step in a future of progress that can go a really long way. So thank you for all of your efforts and the work that you've done here, but also to any black people who are listening, we all have to continue in this fight because it is a long road to equity. It's a long road to equality. And there's a lot of money on the table that we quite frankly are not getting, even though we are investing. Hmm. And Reese, we got to have black folks stop, stop being afraid to make a damn demand. A brother who follows us, he just sent me this text. He said, I don't even like 2% milk. I sure don't like 2% for major corporations. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, a closed mouth don't get fed and scare money don't make money. So those are two things that we all repeat. But then when somebody starts asking or making demands, we get all gunshot. We get all shook. You're not the one making the damn demand, so what you scared about? You scared about somebody else demanding something that you're going to benefit from? It doesn't make sense. You know, I, I, I completely respect about being uh, disagreeing without being disagreeable, but as you also say sometimes, um, Roland, agitate, agitate, agitate. And sometimes being agreeable don't really get the job done. I happen to know that <laughs> the way I go about things sometimes. And so... You know, listen, at the end of the day, nobody is going to hand out anything to us. A lot of times now we're starting to see people hold up black people as, well, y'all do right by black people. What about us? Uh-uh. 
first of all, that's not the case. And second of all, anything we get, it's because we fight tooth and nail for it. And the one other thing I do want to say is, again, I brought this point up a month ago or however many shows ago, we have to look to support organizations, whether it's companies, whether it's philanthropic organizations, whether it's community organizations that are pouring back into our communities. It's not always going to be the names that people recognize. That's why you have a Black Lives Matter, no shade to them, that raised $100 million and people are like, where is the money going? Well, y'all the ones who gave them $100 million. Why don't you give to shows like Roller Martin and Filter, give to your local organizations, give to somebody's cash app. Maybe they're taking their money and they're buying lunches for homeless people and handing them out without cameras around. There are so mm. many ways that we can contribute without always trying to contribute to what's most popular, what has the biggest name. We want to, we need to contribute to what's having an actual impact. This show has an impact in not only informing people, but it has an impact on empowering people. And what you did for those kids is, well, I shouldn't say kids, but for those students is very important. And that wouldn't happen if you just sat back meek and mild-mannered and didn't rock the boat a little bit. So we support you, Roland, and you're agitate, agitate, agitate. And we also support you when you are hobnobbing and you're, you know, you, you sometimes you can bait people a little bit more well, honey than vinegar and whichever tactic you want to go about it we got your back <laughs> oh but one other thing i did want to uh, say I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot uh-oh i don't want to put you on the spot but i did go ahead, go ahead. Comment, some people were asking about a gofundme for erica and i don't believe she has anything like that and i know she's a prideful strong black woman but maybe if we could get her cash app and allow people to just, if they want to contribute $5, you know, so that she can get some Uber Eats or something. I think that the Roland Martin viewers, love we all love you and we all miss you, Erica. And I think a lot of people would really be willing to just, just, just as a show of support and show of our love for Erica. And we wish you a speedy recovery and everything that you're doing. And it's not you asking, it's me saying, hey, let's show our love for Erica and really send her our support. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, I, I just sent her the text and asked her and let's see if she respond to it. Uh, so yeah, but you're right. Uh, uh, you know, Erica, she a strong sister, but even strong folk, uh, also, uh, need uh, love and support as well. Uh, Greg, you're going to get the final comment here. Uh, I I hear Reese's point. Uh, but the rally is I was born with vinegar. I pissed vinegar. Uh, I spit vinegar. Uh, and so, uh, the only honey that exists in my, exists in my house is the honey that's in the cabinet. And yeah, I know, I I know Reese didn't bring up vinegar and honey because Reese shop at the same store I do, and not now one of us buy honey. I That's said right. either way. No, in my defense, I said either way, Roland. <laughs> oh, I That's know you right. said. I know you, you know, said you either know, way, but 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 reason you ain't never purchased no honey. I know. We're here. We're here. <laughs> now see, now see, Roland, you say that, that she just gave birth to a little bit of honey. So you gotta make sure <laughs> that baby girl. No, no. She she gave she gave birth she gave birth to honey. She might call her husband honey, but everything else, Reese's spitting spitting vinegar and fire. Lord have mercy. Hey, I can't say nothing about that, man. Hey, hey, I'm going to keep this short and sweet, Roland. First of all, brother, we all know that individuals don't beat institutions. So no matter how powerful, how smart, how brilliant we are, 
we ha- we rely on each other. And I'm glad you said that, Reese. Yeah, let's put that together. Like I say, Eric would never ask, but uh, we could we, we put our little thing together on that and leave it to the black women to do that because you know the power of network more than anyone. Um, Roland, when I, when I saw those two students get that money, it took me back almost, I guess it's been 30 years. Um, uh, no, actually 40 years. My God, what am I saying? It was 1983. Um, I won an oratorical contest in Middle Tennessee. It was the Stones River Missionary Baptist Association, affiliated to the National Baptist Convention, and I and I and and uh, I went to the to the uh, to the meeting, and they presented me with a check for a hundred dollars. Now, I put that check on some books when I enrolled that fall at Tennessee State University, and it wasn't what the, what that young sister said. A minute ago was very important. She said, "Oh, you know, people say oh, it's just a thousand dollars." Said, "No, that'll pay for my meals." And people were co-signing. Let me tell you, it's not even a dollar amount. What it is, is the investment of the community. When you give a young person any amount of money in front of the community, Councilwoman Evan Shabazz, of course, talked about her her. Her father. She didn't mention her grandfather, who was the first, wait, great grandfather, I think, was the first president of Prairie View, uh, Prairie View AM. The young people realize you just invested in me. So that means when she's up in the middle of the night studying and gets tired, you know what she's gonna remember? She's gonna remember you standing there and all them people standing there, and she's gonna say, you know what, I can't let those people down. It mm-hmm. it transformed. Here I am. 56 years old, I was 18 years old when they put that check in my hand, and I still operate on the premise that I cannot let those people down. That money isn't just money. That money means the community has an expectation of you. Brother, I cannot overstate how important how important that moment was. She will not only, they will not only never forget that, that could be the moment they look back on years from now when we finally win this war and say, this was the moment I joined the Army. I'm telling you, mm. brother, thank you for that. Well, I certainly appreciate it, and the reality is uh, i got to thank uh, our viewers. Y'all made it possible. Uh, we had an absolutely amazing 2020, what we're building here, uh, and uh, we'll continue to do so. Uh, Kathy Hughes is right. I am raising lots of hell. Uh, I've been meeting with advertisers all this week, uh, and I made it perfectly clear. That scene from Malcolm X, I am not satisfied. Mm. I will not accept press releases. I will not accept statements until I see the flowing of checks being deposited, signed contracts with black-owned media. Then I'm going to keep giving folk hell and keep raising hell. That ain't changing. As long as there's breath in my body, that is going to happen. Because the reality is this. Just like we're out here. Uh, demanding justice for uh, Pamela Turner, just like we were in Elizabeth City demanding justice for uh, Andrew Brown Jr. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are out, tr- out here trying to do the work. Now, it's a whole bunch of folk out there calling themselves new black medium. And all they do is sit at home in the basement and talk. That's mm. all they do. They don't call <laughs> nobody. They don't cover nothing. Uh, they don't do nothing but just run their mouths. And a bunch of folk love sitting here, man, so-and-so talking about you, so-and-so roasting you. I said, yeah, but they're not on the front lines, okay? They can see, when, when, when Robbie told his mama, came off that stage, she said, where's Roland? I need to give him a hug. Because, see, I had them on Tom Joyner. So, see, like Charlie Wilson said, Charlie Wilson said he new school and old school. Y'all, I said, I'm old media and new media. 
That's what happens when you're a journalist. That's what happens when you're committed. The reason we're fighting so hard on this money front, y'all, because we're trying to change this game. Kathy Hughes is in her 70s. She talked about uh, her mother uh, passing last year. I'm 52 years old. The reality is all of us have an expiration date. I know we hate to think about that. But the reality is this here. There should not be a brother or a sister 30, 40, 50 years from now fighting the exact same battle with corporate America as we fight right now. 30, 40, right. 40, 30, 40, 50 years from now, they should not be talking about getting 1% or 2%. And what Kathy Hughes said is important is that we need y'all to stand with us. We need y'all to sit here and say, man, keep going. I, 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 got, I got some loud mouth folk who talk about, man, stop begging a white man. Stop begging a white man. Uh, why y'all asking uh, the white man? Because the reality is we are spending money on products. We're sitting here. Uh, we're sitting here uh, uh, using our buying goods and services. So why should we not demand fair share? Why should we not demand that our media institutions uh, are receiving their fair share? Kathy and Greg talked about that think tank. Y'all, when you connect the dots, when you connect the dots, when black media gets its fair share, when black law firms get their fair share, when black engineering firms get their fair share, when black uh, design companies, when black interior decorators, when black uh, accounting firms, we can go every single industry. When that begins to happen, then those resources then begin to fund those black families. Then we are able to, yes, create scholarship funds. Then we're able to give to the NAACP, to the National Urban League, to Black Voters Matter, to Black Lives Matter. Then we're able to give to HBCUs. Then we're able to support our institutions. That's called community building. The problem that we have right now in black America, we have a severe lack of investment because there's been a severe lack of investment in black communities. Economic apartheid has been practiced against us since we first got here. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. And so you have folk who are out there uh, and you have people who will say, well, man, why aren't you making the same fight for reparations? Y'all, how you going to come to me talking reparations but then you critical of voting. <laughs> Who gonna vote on the reparations? <laughs> so what I am arguing, see, see, some of y'all, some of y'all out there who watching, y'all missed that. How you gonna complain and hate on folk who are in office and then say, well, uh, they ain't supporting HR forty. So they got to go, but then you the same one say don't vote. Well, hell, ain't nobody going to go if you don't vote. <laughs> so what I'm trying to get folks to understand is when we are fighting for the resources, y'all can call that reparations if y'all want to. You can call it fair share. You can call it what King called it on April 3rd, 1968, when he spoke of economic reciprocity. When he said, when he turned around and said, Jesse, what did you call it? We going to redistribute the pain. Hmm. So I, I, I understand what Kathy Hughes had to say. I, I, I understand. And I understand Reese's point about honey and vinegar. I totally agree. But King said, we've got to redistribute the pain. 
which means that if folk are not spending money with us, we have to cause them some pain. So if that means taking out full-page ads and calling out the CEO of General Motors, Mary Barra, and I'm participating mm. tomorrow in a black media, no, they call it Diverse Media Summit. I done told General Motors, you better call it black-owned media. I participated <laughs> in one of the last two days with Byron Allen. I met today with a company. I met with three companies earlier this week. But let me explain something, y'all. I've had meetings. I have not seen direct deposits. Hmm. So until I see direct deposits, and I ain't talking small direct deposits. Let, let me go church on y'all. <laughs> I don't want to hear change rattling in the box. I need to hear the rustling of paper. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm talking about, y'all, yes. are not four-figure deals, not five-figure deals, not six-figure deals. I'm talking seven-figure deals. I'm talking eight-figure deals. And for the black people who are listening to me who are unfamiliar with seven- and eight-figure deals, that ain't my problem. <laughs> because Good my grandmama had a business. My grandfather had a business. My mama had a business. My Aunt Lurdy had a business. My Uncle Larry had a business. My Uncle Warren had a business. I can do the roll call. Those black entrepreneurs all in my family. So excuse me if I'm accustomed to not asking for small money. When black people stop asking for small money, then we will get big money. And when we stop asking for small money, we will get big respect. But this ain't changing if we've got a generation of people who are satisfied with small money. I'm not satisfied with 1%. I'm not satisfied with 2%. I will tolerate 5% right now, but that number damn sure better go to 6 to 7 to 8 to 9 to 10 to 11 to 12 to 13 to 14 or 15. And if we, if we are actually contributing more to your market share, I want to see a little bit higher. And so... Some of y'all out there might be a little afraid. Some of y'all <laughs> may not like my tactics. Some of y'all may say I'm too tough. Uh, I call folk out too early. But let me be real clear. Like Frank Lucas said in American Gangster, I'm going to get that money. <laughs> we going to get that money. And I'm not fighting just for me. I'm fighting for all black-owned media. We're going to get that money. Because when we get that money, you get that money. And that's what it's all about. Folks, if y'all want to support what we do, because this is why we do it, because the other deal, and this is the last thing, I ain't got to ask nobody. Roland don't have a boss. Let me tell y'all the hierarchy. There's God. Then there's me. My wife and my mama and my daddy ain't between me and God. So the hierarchy in decision is God, then me. That's how we change stuff when black folk don't have to go ask somebody else, hey, can we please go to Baytown and cover the rally? No. I just looked into the mirror. In fact, I ain't even looking into the mirror. Ben Crump came on the show. I said, Ben, we're going to be here. Y'all support makes this possible. Y'all support allows for us to be here. Our cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. 
paypal.me forward slash rmartinunfiltered. Venmo.com forward slash rmunfiltered. Uh, also, uh, Zell is rolling at rollingsmartin.com, rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Uh, and so uh, that's where we are. Uh, and, folks, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, thank you so very much for everybody who tuned in to the coverage earlier today of our rally. Thank you so very much. Uh, the rally out here, Justice for Pam, uh, uh, for, for Pamela. Uh, again, May 25th, the trial date is going to be set. We thank uh, all the folks who uh, supported us. And, again, I appreciate the bro- – I love, I love our black people. Folks literally walked up to me to put cash in my hand – they want to contribute. They say they're not going to send it. And so, y'all, uh, and Anthony is real happy because that that's going to um, uh, that's going to pay for his dinner. So uh, he appreciates that. <laughs> uh, y'all, thank you so very much. Uh, Reese, Greg, and Amisha, thanks a lot. Uh, thank you, everybody, back in the office. Uh, we're going to be broadcasting tomorrow from Houston. Uh, and I, uh, more than likely, we're going to be talking with uh, Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner. Uh, and so we look forward to that. Uh, he's an alpha man, so, you know, that's how we roll. So, uh, yo, Greg, I didn't let them folks know how we roll. So, folks, I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, we'll see y'all tomorrow right here from Houston. Y'all take care. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh, my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Are you looking for the perfect move in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy. Enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.